Welcome to Behind the Badge. I'm uh, your host, Sergeant Mark. Uh, the professor will not be here with us. He is on vacation this week. So I'm going to go over a few things with you myself. So one of the things I want to start off with is a lot of the, uh, the police activity in the, in the um, news today. I'm going to start off with, there was a video that was... Um, on YouTube, or I'm sorry, on Twitter. It's a video of a little girl. Her name's Sophia. If you go on there and you type in Sophia, you'll find it. So this little girl is on camera. She is crying, screaming to somebody in the back seat. You don't see who she's talking to. Um, but what she's doing is she's sitting there screaming and begging for help because... She's being molested at home. She, is, the video will ruin your weekend. It'll ruin your week. But whoever it is she's talking to in this video, she's begging. But whoever the person is, you can't hear them. But the little girl starts screaming, saying that mommy watches while whoever. She does, I don't believe she mentions who the person is, is touching her going in her pants and making her bleed. Now, of all the crimes that could be committed in this world, this is by far the worst one. When you watch this video and you see the pain in this little girl, you can hear it in her voice, you can see it in her reaction. It's one of the most gut-wrenching videos you'll ever watch in your entire life. Unfortunately, I've seen some of this stuff firsthand and actually became kind of numb to it up until I just saw this video the other day and was absolutely just horrified by what I saw. Um, as the story goes, there was a video on a GoFundMe and they show another video of her with a social worker, it looks like, uh, during an exchange with her father and the mother, the kids begging the dad, don't let me go, please, you know, save me. The dad's trying, the social worker's yelling at the dad, like, look, you can't do it this way, you gotta go through the courts, you'll be the one that gets arrested, blah, 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 all that awful garbage. And that video is just crushing. I mean, you just see it. And someone like me who has the um, experience and the training in deceptive behavior, knowing when People are lying. I'm telling you right now, that kid 1,000% is telling the truth. That kid had some insane things happen to her and is traumatized from it. The follow-up on from what I've been able to find out is the, uh, the police department that's handling the investigation is I actually put out a statement saying that the kid is safe. The kid is um, in a, with, undis with undisclosed people in an undisclosed location, of course, and that she is safe. So hopefully this, um, these monsters are, are absolutely just, you know, I, I don't want to say anything that's, you know, promotes violence or anything like that, but 
there's a special place in hell for these kind of people. And it brings me to a job that we had years ago. So in Philadelphia, there's a section of what's called Roosevelt Boulevard. It goes all the way through the city. It goes from the suburbs straight through the northeast section of Philadelphia, through parts of uh, North Philadelphia, Germantown, and it goes all the way out to the uh, City Line Avenue, turns into City Line Avenue. And, yeah, it's one of our main, you know, roadways here. At the end of it, right at the border of Philadelphia and the um, county called Bucks County, or I'm sorry, Bucks County, the um, Ben Salem Township, there are a string of, you know, um, hotels. There's probably, just off the top of my head, five, six of them at least. Some of them are hourly rate hotels, things like that. So we got a call, and this actually happened right at the border, right inside Philadelphia. We got a call that there was a girl wanted. Not unusual, so we head up there. We asked the um, front desk guy when we arrived. There was four of us. When we arrived, we asked for the key to the room. Well, the person that called us told us which room they were in. He kind of was giving us a little bit of a hard time because he knew what was going on up there. He knew what was going on in his hotel. And this is a chain hotel across the country. So it wasn't just some fly-by-night motel. So we get the key. We go in. And once we walk in the room, it was two rooms connected. There was a guy who was the handler. Um, he was sitting down. As soon as we walked in, there was like six girls in the one room. And then we went to the second room. I believe there were six or seven other girls. I remember it was like 13 or 14 people in these two rooms. So we locate the girl who was wanted. It was actually a girl we used to lock up all the time. And, you know, we went in and said, look, we got a warrant for, you know, I'll, I'll just call her uh, Tracy. Got a warrant for Tracy. Tracy comes out. We put her in handcuffs, and she asks to speak to me. I was a sergeant at the time. And, you know, she's like, Mark, listen, um, this guy is keeping us all hostage here. He's raping all of us. She's like, I'm the one that called on myself. She's like, I was able to use a John's phone. A John, if you're not familiar with, is um, the guy that pays the prostitute. If you go out and get a prostitute tonight, you're considered the John. So John let her use his phone. She called in on herself. So we would come up. She knew we would come lock them up. So at that moment, we checked every single person in, in both hotel rooms. Um, found one of the girls was a 14-year-old girl missing from Texas. There was, I, I don't remember all the areas, but only two of the girls of the 13 girls, only two were actually from the Philadelphia area. It was the girl Tracy and another girl that we've you know, it had um, encounters with over the years. She wasn't wanted. But we had to wind up calling Special Victims Unit to come help us out. 
This was something we weren't used to doing, dealing with. We had no idea really what to do. So they came out and secured the entire hotel. They debriefed the girl with the warrant who uh, told us, she gave us, I think it was 10 rooms in this hotel. And then what would happen is all these girls were placed in all these different rooms. So they would go, when a John would come into the hotel, because they would come off the turnpike or off the highway uh, through whatever sources they had to um, find these girls. And they would go in and arrange a room. So if they had to go to room 110, the people in 110 would leave, go into an, another one of their several rooms, and, you know, they would, you know, do their business. So by the end of it, after all the smoke cleared and everything, the guy was arrested. Uh, he was charged with um, raping the girl, Tracy. He was charged for kidnapping, uh, just everything you can imagine. I believe 20-some girls were freed that night. Um, there were supposed to be three other guys connected with the whole, uh, you know, the whole friggin' mess there. But they wound up getting away once we were in that, once we first arrived. They knew what was coming. You know, the girl Tracy was nervous. She didn't want, she wanted to press charges. She was the only one of all the other girls. She was the only one that wanted to. And because of that, because of what she did, because she had a drug problem, because she was a prostitute, she was afraid that nothing was going to happen, that no one was going to care about the case. It was going to just get tossed out of court, and she would have to look over her shoulder for the rest of her life. And we promised her. We, you know, there was a, me and a couple partners gave our phone numbers, um, our work phone numbers, to her at, at any time on duty or not, call us. If there's an issue, we would come help out. And ultimately, she went through with it. And the guy wound up getting oh, 40, I think 40 years in prison. Um, ironically, he got put out on house arrest while he was awaiting trial, which is another issue that Philadelphia, you know, courts have to deal with in their own way. But he did get found guilty for raping her keeping her hostage, kidnapping, and everything. Uh, the 14-year-old girl was sent back to Texas. She, she didn't want to file any charges. But you know, I was watching the news today, and they, it was Joe Biden was asked the question about the uh, sex trafficking and if he thought it was a hoax and stuff like that. In the past two weeks, I believe there's been some 150 kids rescued across the country um, for potential from sex trafficking. You, you didn't really hear it on the news. This is a major problem and has been a major problem. It was a major problem you know, 10 years ago when I was on the job. I mean, there was a special task force that my old partner went to just to deal with the um, sex trafficking in, in the Philly area. It's one of the most grotesque things you can possibly deal with in this job. It's gut-wrenching. It hurts. When we would go out and lock people up on the street, and a lot of them were prostitutes. A lot of them were, uh, you know, women that have just been abused 
by whoever in their lives that drove them down to this area, Kensington in Philadelphia. And that's where their second, you know, the hell, the hell part of their life really began. There was people down there that would find these girls, get them hooked on heroin, and make them work for them. There was boyfriends tricking out girlfriends. There were guys getting girls from, you know, the mall. Uh, they, they had a way to find these, these kids, get them down on the Ave, hide them if they were too young. Um, and then once they hit 17, 18 years old, they were on the street. And then we would encounter them all the time. And we would lock them up all the time, more or less for their own safety. Uh, we would try to flip some of them, try to get information. There was, there was this one girl that still to this day really pisses me off. A young girl, she went to Archbishop Ryan. I'm not going to say her name, but whenever I would see her, and she wasn't wanted, she would yell to us, we are AR, which is the saying that all, you know, Ryan, you know, Ryan students and alums say, it's, we are AR. So she would scream it to me. I would joke back. I would scream it back to her, you know, and it was just, you know, an innocent little, you know, encounter here and there. When she was wanted, we would pick her up. Her dad would actually call us a lot and he wanted her to take her medicine. She had, um, undisclosed issues and we would go we would find her and she was cooperative every time uh, she was one of the people where we would get her something to eat before we went and dropped her off at the prison and you know to see what we can do as far as helping her try to get out of that lifestyle but she she was always afraid that the people and in, in this area these these two pimps and i think i mentioned before this guy teddy and this guy bishop that he would come find her and kill her. We would always laugh at it, not laugh it off, but we would always brush it off like, listen, you know, these are, these are fraud men. They are not tough. And we had encountered with them every time. And every time we did, it was, yes, sir, no, sir. I'm sorry, sir. They, they were truly um, a couple of cowards. Well, I get a call from an officer that used to work for me, um, she wound up working in a district where she would run into this girl as well. And she knew her because I th believe they both went the same way. I believe they both went to Ryan. So she gets a call of a body found in an abandoned house. She goes, they go over, they, um, I don't know if she went there or how she came upon the scene, but it was this girl. Um, she was dead, rolled up in a rug, thrown in this abandoned house. Uh, if you watch any war movie, there's a good one. It's you know the one um, with Bradley Cooper sniper, and you see some of the buildings there. They just it just doesn't look real. Well, this is exactly what these um, abandoned houses would look like. Third world country, uh, it, unimaginable, you know, situations. You just can't believe this is in America. So this poor girl died. 
rolled up in a carpet, thrown in this abandoned building. When the cops finally did find her, rats were rats ate her face. She was still a pretty girl too. It was a shame. Um, even after all her drug use and everything, you could tell she was a very pretty girl before. And had she gotten her life on the right track at some point, could have fit right back into society, and no one would have known the difference. So it comes it comes out that there was a witness, which is rare for, for this area, seeing a car pull up like 3 in the morning, two people take the rug, throw it in the house. Now, the person thought it was very unusual because they skidded away. It was a Lexus, it was a Lexus car, too, a real nice car. Just didn't fit the scene. So, turns out, the people that did it was the two pimps down there. Guy Bishop, and the other person was unknown. So, we get the call to go find him. And, unfortunately, he was found ahead of time before uh, before we can get to him. But we wound up raiding his house anyway because there were several warrants, several wanted people want it out of that location. So we go. We lock, we lock up a few girls. Um, I believe we actually even had to shoot a dog. Uh, but we found out the story and what happened. So this poor girl got apparently got high and OD'd. Some of the other people in there said it was a hot shot, which means they spiked it. Um, we passed all that information off to the, to the uh, police and what happened was after she after she OD'd overdose, she was wrapped up in the um in a rug from the house. They took her out, left her in the car all day. She sat in that trunk dead uh, in the afternoon until three in the morning when they can go to that location about a half a mile from where they lived and dump her like trash. Ultimately he was convicted of um it was something, I, it wasn't nothing major. Um, yeah, I, I forget the, the uh, actual charge, you know, something with a corpse. But I think he wound up getting like 11 and a half to 23 months, which is a common sentence in Philadelphia. And he had to live his life, and that was it. I ran into him years later. We had to put his son on house arrest for a crime. Saw him. And told him flat out, I said, listen, if I get one alert for your kid, I'm locking him up every single time, which was what we had to do. But we had some leeway in, in those decisions. I told him, I said, because you're a complete scumbag and, you know, there's nothing I can do to you, but I'll make sure I, uh, you know, take it out on your kid. And he was, he was like, I, I understand. Part of the game. He's like, I get it. And that was it. Actually, kid never had any issues. His kid was locked up for also promoting prostitution. He got caught with several girls when they raided his house. Wound up getting you know, just house arrest for it. Um, the whole thing is this trafficking of women and young girls and even boys is real. It's one of the worst crimes that can possibly happen to anybody. And for anyone to think it's like a hoax or this is a joke, they re really need to um, wake up. 
there's countless videos you can go on research on YouTube, um, endless books. It, this is you know one of the biggest uh, problems this country will have and the world has. You know, so another thing I wanted to go over. Um, I mentioned that we had a shooting. We had to actually shoot the dog in that in that raid. A couple weeks ago, we all saw the video of um, the Jacob Blake video, where he was shot by the police, and there's an uproar. Now, our unit, my team, we were involved in three, three, four, five. I think five shootings. Um, all justified. A couple of them, we weren't even. We were shot at, and. The, the threat of a person going for a weapon, as alleged, as Jacob Blake was, is so, it, it's so real and so scary. There's really, unless you're in that situation, you're, no one's going to understand. People that believe the cops were justified are going to stick to him. The cops that, and the people that believe um, Jacob Blake was the victim, you're going to stick with you know, his side. But the fact of the matter is you have literally a second, not even a second, half a second to make a decision. We had, I'm going to go over three incidents that we had. One was New Year's Eve um, years ago. We had gone out and we had new recruits with us. So this was their first, I think, believe their first week on the street. So they would train for a weekend with us because our unit was, as I said before, we were a weekend unit most of my career. We would come in 3 p.m. on a Friday, work till midnight Sunday. Um, we would sleep eight hours in between on Friday and Saturday nights. We arrived at a house. It was on a street called Westmoreland. We go, we knock on the door. Now we're on a porch. There's two walls um, beside, you know, each, each beside the porch. So it was an enclosed porch. We're on an open porch, then another enclosed porch. A lot of houses are like that down there. What wound up happening, when we knocked, we heard, we saw, felt, basically, shots flying right by us. So picture you're at a front door, you're facing the front door, and behind you, our bullets just whizzing by. There's like 12 shots. And they were only a, probably 40, 50 feet away from us. And we don't know if they were shooting at us. They were shooting someone down the street and didn't see us. We never found out. We took cover, peeked around. You could see the smoke from where they were shooting. And we actually seen where they ran in. Um, we ran up to the corner. We saw they went into a house. We didn't go in. We uh, surrounded the house, waited for the district, more, more police to arrive. Ultimately, we went, they wound up letting the cops in. They didn't find any guns. They couldn't find the people. We didn't know who it was. But to have that, to hear that, that loud, uh, I believe one person quit that weekend. They, um, they resigned. It's a sound, it's a, it's a feeling that is indescribable. Even if you go to a range and you shoot a gun and 
and get that feeling like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. I ta- I've taken my, my kids shooting, and they think it's cool, and it is. I was never really been gun. I've never really a big gun guy, but I get that. I get the feeling. I get why there's, you know, gun people go all crazy and love it. But when you're out doing your job on the street and that happens, there's really all the prepare. You know, everything you prepare for still is one of the scariest things of your life. We had um, that was it, and that, that there was nothing we can do. Couldn't find anybody. It was and move on. I I do believe that night we actually wound up taking the um, recruits off the street and kind of went over tactics and did a lot of debriefing and talking about the situation, what we were doing right, what we were doing wrong, and we would do that on a lot of cases, a lot of jobs where you know things happen that didn't happen on every single job. Now, another incident we had was an incident on, uh, it was called Lehigh Avenue. And I believe it was Lehigh and 2nd Street. So we are in mark, unmarked vehicles. We drive Ford Explorers. We are at a red light, and there's a car in front of us. There's a two-lane highway. So in the um, right lane, there's a car and then us. The left lane next to us is our other partner. Actually, I believe we had three cars at night. We're just sitting there, minding our own business. Car in front of us goes through the red light. Now, we weren't, we don't pull people over for traffic violations. That wasn't our job. There was a gas station. Arm reaches out of the window. And they just start shooting the gas station up. Now we watched the whole thing. So we started following them. We didn't put our lights and sirens on because we wanted more help. So we called to uh, dispatch, given our location, and we wound up turning down. I don't remember the street. It might have been Fourth Street. So we're heading towards Center City at this point. The car realizes we're following them. And this is one of the greatest moves I've ever seen one of uh, my partners do was we were driving a safe distance behind, but they stop and get out. The car behind us, so I slow down so we can basically duck in case they start shooting. They jump out of the car. My partner from behind us sees it. He throws his lights and sirens on, goes around us on a pavement, they see him, and it's that, that element of surprise where the criminal doesn't know what to do. They didn't know who to, if, if it was us, if it was them, who are we going to shoot? You know, how are we going to get out of here? They, they had no idea. They froze, jumped back in their car, and now it's a car race. And we were flying. These are small residential streets. Um, good thing it was late at night. We're driving. We get all the way down to Spring Garden, which is probably about a mile, two miles from where the uh, shooting occurred. They wound up throwing the gun out the window. We got the car, you know, we got the um, license plate, did everything, called it over the radio. Uh, Ultimately, they got away because it was just too dangerous. It was close to the end of the night where the bars were letting out. 
and we wound up terminating it. We wind up finding the driver. Uh, we went through our, all of our systems, located him. And how we did it was we took the car, the registration, we ran it. It was to, to an address. We took that address, put it in our database, and a kid popped up with a warrant. And we went to the house, tried to find him. We couldn't get he – he was gone. And I remember his dad saying, oh, his car was stolen. And, you know, and that's the, the typical line. That's what they'll do whenever, a, you know, cars using a crime. Of course, you know, next the next thing is reported stolen. So when we arrived, he said, oh, that wasn't me. That was someone else. They stole my car. Um, unfortunately, this kid didn't realize that we knew it was him. We watched him. And he was the one idiot that got out of the car trying to be tough and then realized that, oh, shit, you know, these are cops and I'm in for it. Uh, ultimately, we uh, wound up, he wound up getting arrested, you know, months later, something stupid, and went to court. Never really, I never found out what his sentence was, but nothing crazy, unfortunately. One of the scariest incidents we had was on a street called Hartville. So again, this a lot of this is in the Kensington North Philly section. Hartville was, I don't know if it still is, was an open-air um, drug market. And for those that are not sure what that means, it basically is they are literally outside selling drugs, not hiding it. Um, they're not being you know, sneaky like they are in the wire or anything like that. They are just, here you go. You hand me the money, I hand you the drugs. It's literally just like that. So we wound up on this block looking for an actual, looking for this guy. Um, we, got, we got told he was there, that he was going to be on this block, and... When we went to find him, we pull up. It was, it's hard to explain, but just imagine a, a block of row homes. There's like 150 on one side, 150 on the other side. There's only parking on one side of the street. And on that side of the street, it is very, um, very narrow. So when you're driving down, when you're driving down the street, you actually got to go really slow. You're going to take mirrors off. So we were told that this kid was hanging out towards the end of the block near the drug dealers, right-hand side. We get down there. I am first car, me and my partner, um, me and my partner, John. We go past the corner. So we're past the corner, or we're past the uh, house where the drug dealers are. Uh, almost at the corner. We get out. Our middle car stays back, so that way the drug dealers and our guy are in between the two cars. And then we had a third car behind him. So we get out and announce. We always announce whenever we, walked, we got out of our vehicles. Warrant unit always announced ourselves. And they knew who we were. We get out. We announce. The guy looks 
down, but probably couldn't see us because we were behind a vehicle. Our other team announces warrant unit. Now he looks at them. Now they want to run towards us. Now they see us. There's 20 people. Now they're all boxed in like, uh-oh, what do we do? Guy, so the one guy, one drug dealer decides, hey, hell with it. I'm going to go out his way. Pulls out a gun, aims it right at towards me and my partner. My other partners that are behind are on the pavement rushing down. They're screaming, gun, gun, gun. Now the guy, again, freezes. And as he goes to swing, he shoots off and around. So he's pointing at us. Then he goes to swing to his left, winds up shooting around into um, a wall. Everybody, there's probably like 100 people on that block. Everyone starts running every which way. We grab, and then he throws the gun. Now we watch it. He shoots it, throws the gun. We grab, each of us are grabbing two people at a time. We call out for an assist that we need help. Shots are fired. You know, shots fired on 3100 Hartville. Give out the description of the guy. Now, my partner, John, gives out the description. There was, I think, six of us that night. We wound up grabbing um, six, seven people, had them all face down. The cops that heard our call are coming in. Now, they're grabbing people that are running from the scene, bringing them all back. Ultimately, we actually had him in custody at that moment. After we settled down and we took stock of the situation, we realized this is the guy. This is the one that did it. We got, um, we wound up locking him up. Uh, the cops actually made several arrests that night for drugs. They wound up coming in and locking up everybody that was dealing drugs. So we cleaned up that street, helped the neighbors, and the guy ultimately got 10 years in jail for attempted murder. When they searched his vehicle, he had countless amount. You know, I don't even remember how much drugs he had, but you know, it was um, it was a large amount. So he wound up just pleading out. I, I think he got a break for ten years, but it was uh, you know, it is what it is. But that moment when he had when he had that weapon, and this is what could happen at any given second: a cop approaches a suspect for any reason. They know where their weapons are hidden. You don't. They know how to get to it. One of the big things they would do, and, and I'm sure they still do it, is hide weapons on people's, uh, on their tire, under their tire well. They would hide weapons there. So that way if a rival comes up, they can bang, get it, and then shooting begins. As Philadelphia is seeing right now, 305 murders to the state. So when I watched that, that video of you know, of Jacob Blake getting shot. My opinion, had he just complied, because again, they were called there to come get this guy. This is a man that was wanted for sexual assault, and we've all probably read the uh, report by now. You know, that's pretty fucked up report, and that's not unusual. I've heard that crazy stuff from crazy boyfriends and husbands, you know, plenty of times. When they came, had he just, okay, here's my hands. I'll go with you. I'll get my day in court. Just doesn't happen. 
But when you actively go and you start fighting with the police, because right now in this country, it, it seems that it's okay to fight back. And that's, it, it, that's just absurd and makes us no better than Russia, you know, China, when you do stuff like that. There's got to be law and there's got to be order. He breaks away, runs to the vehicle. Now there's pictures. It looks like he has a knife in his hand. Um, but the second you go, he's going into that vehicle, the cops don't know. Does he have a gun under the thing, under the seat? They don't know. They can't wait for him to go under, retrieve a weapon, and then point at him because whoever's there first is shot first. So he's down. Okay, this cop, they were warning him. And ultimately, there, there was a knife found. But that's the split-second decision a cop has got to make. You know, and with a knife from that distance, I can easily get to you. You can easily get to me. You don't even need training. Anything under seven feet, anybody, anybody, any novice person holding a knife can lunge at another and stab them and be effective. Could have just been handled completely different way on his end. Just surrender, get your day in court, and that's the end of it. But now we have more unrest. This case, unlike the Floyd case, this isn't cut and dry. Cops, this is good. It will end up being a justified shooting. Um, and I do believe a lot of people understand that's probably the correct outcome and it hasn't been as crazy as it could have been. Um, but again, it, the easiest thing to do is just comply. All right. Cops aren't just walking up to people complying and murder them. It's just not how it is. It's not how it really works. You know, that, that's a myth. That's just a lie. Okay. When you encounter a cop, now there's going to be asshole cops there. You know, there's going to be cops with bad attitudes all the time. I have encountered them myself. I remember getting pulled over in Virginia, me and my son. Went two miles over the speed limit, and I handed the cop my ID. He saw my badge, and he figured this is a good shot for him to just yell and scream at me because I was going a little over the speed limit. It was at 45. I think I was going 47. Now, in, these little, in these, some of these areas in the country, you can't do that. Philly, you can drive 30 miles over the speed limit. They don't care. They got 100 other things to do. But this guy was yelling and telling me how we were all assholes and you know he we piss him off all of us northeast cops piss him off and what the fuck's our problems this that and the other and i asked him i was like why why are you so mad what are you so mad about i mean i know what it is he don't get much work yeah he's a gung-ho guy who doesn't do anything but pull people over and you know, ruin people's days and, you know, financially hits them in the pocket because they're going a little bit over speed limit. Like, who gives a shit? And the thing that pissed me off was my son couldn't understand it. Like, he's like, he knows you're, you know, you're in law enforcement. Like, why is he doing this? And I had to tell him, like, they're just some asshole cops. You know, like the Floyd, the scumbag that killed uh, Floyd. That's an asshole cop. You can just tell by the way he was handling that whole situation, how he's just arrogantly looking off into the, you know, into the crowd as if what he's doing is not a big deal. That's what an arrogant cop does. 
I mean, you got to it, – it sucks, and there are some of them out there. But the reality is most cops are just normal, everyday people that go to work, do their tour. Hopefully they can help somebody and go home. That's it. No, no cop wants to go in and I want to lock people up and I want to kick ass and, you know, break down doors. When they're younger and they're, you know, new, yeah, you get eager. We were like that when we first hit the street. Like, oh, I can't wait. We're going to kick in some doors. You know, we're going to get in chases. This is going to be great, blah, blah, blah. And it is fun, but we never took anything personally. As I uh, I said in the first episode, which we uh, pulled down because the uh, sound quality wasn't there, one of the things we learned quickly with the amount of power that we had over people, it could turn you into two different. It could turn you into a monster. Um, luckily, we had some great training, and we understood with that power came an enormous amount of responsibility. And we also knew if we fucked up at all. We're going to pay the price a little more than your average citizen is going to pay for whatever the crime is. So we were fortunate that most of the people in our unit understood that power and was very respectful. We had some bad apples. They know who they are. They went off to different places. Um, you know, there was, you know, one loser that would take people's uh, car keys and lock them in their trunk. And, you know, it's it's like, what are you doing? And it, it wasn't even like it was like some crazy drug dealer or something like that. Just, you know, you know, punk kids hanging out on the corner, you know, talking shit, which we didn't care. Some people in our unit, you know, there was a couple that couldn't handle. I remember an incident where we were in a house and a guy escaped through a roof. And one thing I'm going to say this for anybody that wants to be in law enforcement, is in law enforcement, and hasn't had this happen yet. Never threaten to do something to a person that you can't do. And we found out this guy got through the skylight. Go downstairs, interview the family, try to get them to tell us who, you know, where he went. And they denied it. Like, nope, we have no idea what you're talking about. And that's part of the job. Get as much information from them as we can. Run them, see if they're wanted. We did all that. And this one guy had to, always had the mouth, always wanted to be the tough guy, and start threatening to lock everybody up. Now, we knew we couldn't lock them up. You know, that what, obstructing, yeah, get, that's, that's in the movies. That stuff doesn't really happen. But he kept threatening them. And the one guy said to him, he basically said, go fuck yourself. He's like, I just did 10 years. He's like, you can't lock me up for anything. He's like, even if you could, he's like, I don't give a shit. He's like, I'll go do 10 more. He's like, I don't care. So now our guy, what does he do? What can he do now? He just got called out, just got punked. Luckily, we had a supervisor there who's seen how bad that situation got, grabbed him and said, get out of the house. Apologized to him, said, all right, just know we're going to come back. We're going to come back looking for him. So here's what he needs to do to turn himself in. And then we go outside, and the guy's out there, our guy's out there talking shit, like, oh, that fucking guy. And he's like, I should have locked him up. And 
when you do that, you don't even put yourself in a dumb situation, but you put your partners in a dumb situation. You know, I mean, it's like, who cares? Why is it so personal? You don't take that personal. The incident I told you about earlier, the little girl who was begging for someone to believe her that she was being fucking raped there, I wouldn't care if you took that personal. Me personally, I would have, if I was there and I was the one listening to that story, I would have lost my job for sure. I have one daughter and I would have, I would have done something that would have, you know, got me in trouble. But at that point, I wouldn't have cared. But that's a little kid who needs help immediately. Not some guy that, you know, just got away and hurt your ego. You can't let that happen. You can't take any of that shit personally. And when you do, you become the super trooper. That's what that loser that killed Floyd was. That's all he was, was a super trooper. Nothing more. Probably wasn't even racist. He just probably hated everybody. But thought when he put that uniform on, he was God's gift to the world. And when you act like that, you know, as a cop, with especially with the power that we had, you know, to take someone's freedom, take their life, you're going to get no, you're going to get what we have today. You know, people that you're trying to legitimately arrest for legitimate crimes thinking they can just fight you back because of this asshole, this one asshole that, you know, killed a cop or um, one asshole that killed this, this guy. Like I said, the Jacob Floyd or the Jacob Blake um, incident, that isn't nearly um, as bad as the Floyd incident. Had the guy just stopped, got arrested, took his charge, went to court, fought it. He's, he's okay today, and there's no none of this bullshit, um, none of this divide. But as a cop, a guy... A guy or girl running to their secured location, something they know and you don't know, is the ultimate is the ultimate um, you know nightmare for a cop. Uh, my last episode, I had my old partner, one of the cops in Philly, who was stuck in a house, and six of his partners got shot. They went into a house which they didn't know who knew what. That's one of the dangers of doing warrant service. When you go into a location, they know where the guns are. They know what to do when you come in. They know all the hallways and the walls. No different than a car. I know where I keep my my weapon in my car. You don't. You know, it's no different. Had I have I gone into somebody's house not knowing? The ultimate thing could happen, just like it did. Six six officers were shot, two were stuck in the house. And you know, so the, the whole J, the whole Jacob Blake, you know, it, it it sucks. Cops don't want to shoot people, no matter what you may think, no matter what the news is telling you. They don't. I never wanted to. Luckily, I never did. You know, but the best advice to anybody is just, you know, if you're a law enforcement officer, do whatever you got to do to stay safe. But just definitely don't take anything personally. I mean... Like I've said before, we've had knuckle-down brawls with people, like legitimate fist fights against families, and it was just a brawl. And at the end of it, when the dust settled, everybody's calm. It's, okay, we're going to jail now, no big deal. And we would talk. 
And most of the time, the people would always apologize. And I, I never cared. I still remember one case where this kid held onto a railing, was kicking us. He was so high. The only reason we got him off that railing is because he was um, his hands got sweaty. But he fought us all the way to the car, kicked out our, our window in our car, fought us in the hospital until the, until the uh, doctors gave him something to calm him down. When he woke up, he realized, oh, shit. He apologized up and down. We still charged him. But when we went to court, I remember the district attorney asking us, you know, what do you guys want? And I remember court. He was there with his dad. His dad was sick. I remember that from the house. And we said, no, look, he apologized. We understand. You know, he was high on drugs, not himself. And we left it up to the prosecutor. They gave him a probation with conditions. And he actually came out and thanked us because they were going to seek jail time. But, again, we didn't take it personal. This guy needed help for, you know, drugs, not it wasn't a bad kid. It was just, you know, like most of these people, they just need help with this this addiction they have going on, you know. But before I get out, I do I want to end this on. I had a couple. Uh, I don't want it all to be doom and gloom when we talk. Next week, I'm going to have. I'm hoping to have a couple of my old partners here. They want to. They want to come in, but unfortunately, like a lot of cops right now, they gotta, you know remain anonymous and afraid that whatever they say, they're not going to have the backing of their superiors. Um, but you know, my goal is to get a lot more of my old partners and a lot of people to call in and tell us what's going on, what they're experiencing. I've had a few, you know, send me text messages and just how they are depressed. A lot of cops are just like feeling like, is this, is this even worth it? This really sucks. Um, you know, so it's a shame, but I'm going to try to get some in here. But before I go, I, I did want to bring up a couple funny things. So all of our, you know, all of our, um, our jobs weren't all crazy, you know, guns drawn, kicking doors in, fights, stuff like a lot of it was was simple, nothing to report, kind of boring. But then there was also some that stood out that were just hilarious. One of them was an uh, incident. We were driving down at uh, Frankfurt Avenue. And again, like I said, we had unmarked Ford Explorers. Now, the criminals that we dealt with knew our cars. They would yell warrant unit, and it was funny sometimes. You would see corners scatter, and they would stay in till the next day. Somebody yells, we're at um we're in some traffic. We're like probably like four cars from the uh street light. Ford Explorer in front of us, our team one was in front. I was in the rear, me and another guy, but we were in a, a car. We actually had a couple vehicles. And he they yell, warrant unit, warrant units out, and then all of a sudden, a girl jumps in the back seat of our car. We didn't understand. We were like, what the hell? Like, it, it shocked us at first. But she jumps in. She's like, go, go, go. Get out of here. The warrant unit's here. And me and my partner look at each other like, um, okay, where do you want to go? And she's like, anywhere. And we're just, let's just, get, just get, let's just get the hell out of here. 
So we were like, okay, let's get out of here. So we start driving. And she still doesn't realize it's us. And then finally, she's like, all right, what do you guys want to do? And she goes, oh, shit. She go, sees it's us. She's like, God damn it. She's like, I got a warrant, too. And we're like, well, I guess we want to go up to the prison, get you out of here. And she was just like, all right. So we pull over, we put her in cuffs, and we take her up. But it was uh, it was one of those situations where we were all, the, the car in front of us was laughing. There was another car behind us. They were laughing. And, you know, she was a good sport about it. I think she wound up, uh, I think we may even let her go, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, she was, unfortunately, she was pretty far gone. She was bad. And uh, I think we would have had to take her, you know, we were going to have to actually take her to the hospital. Sometimes when they were so high, the jail wouldn't take them, and then we'd have to take them to the hospital. And that would turn into, um, you know, an ordeal. So what we'd do is we'd usually take them to their, lo- their house and you know, let them, you know, sleep it off, tell them to come in on their own on the next day. You know, but uh, that's that's going to be it for me today. I just wanted to say um, to anybody out there, if you can, you got to check out the uh, video. It's a little Sophie video. Um, follow that story of this little girl. And, you know, hopefully this, this nightmare ends for this poor kid. It's one of the most gut-wrenching videos I've ever seen. And until uh, next week, stay safe out there, everyone.